Okay, Shalom Aleichem. Good morning. So, yesterday, we began learning about the um, connection between the story of Purim and the time of the year in which it's read, this year. Story of Purim is on Thursday and Friday, on the 14th and 15th of Adar, and the Torah portion on the 14th and 15th of Adar is about the inauguration of Aaron and his children and, and how they wore the saintly garments of the kahuna, of the priesthood, and how they offered the sacrifices to Hashem. And the Rebbe said that just like in the Torah portion that we're reading, Aaron is wearing the saintly garments and his children are wearing the saintly garments and they're eating the sacrifices. So too we find in the story of Purim that Achashverosh wore the saintly garments of the Kayan Gadol and he also, he also had a feast. And therefore there's a connection between this Torah reading and the story of Purim. And we, our enormous question yesterday was, how can you compare these two things? The story of Purim is where Achazeresh desecrates the, the royal garments. And he has a feast in which he publicly desecrates the temple and, it's, and, and he emphasizes by that feast itself, as the Talmud explains, he made this feast to show that his reign will continue, that the curse that was given to his reign, that it will end at, at a certain period, the period has already arrived and he has not been deposed. And that in, indicates that the, 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 uh, the prophecy is not true. And to celebrate the prophecy wasn't true, he therefore made uh, this feast to, to show that he will remain king and he will not be deposed. So he was actually uh, emphasizing with his feast that God isn't true, that the Torah isn't true, and the temple and its, and its garments are meaningless. And therefore, he can wear the, the garments of the high priest. So how can we possibly connect the inauguration of Aaron and his children with the desecration of the temple by Ahasuerus? And how could we compare the sacrifices that were eaten by Aaron and his children to honor Hashem, to do the midst of inaugurating the temple? How can we compare that to the feast of Ahasuerus, which was a feast to desecrate the temple? So what we started to learn about was that Achashverosh in the Megillah is, represents Hashem. The word Achashverosh is made up of two words, beginning and end. And thus Achashverosh represents Hashem, who to all, everything belongs to Hashem. The beginning of time and the end of time all belongs to Hashem. So when it says in the Megillah that Achashverosh wore the royal garments and had a feast, that represents how, so to speak, Hashem donned the royal garments, and Hashem had a feast, and therefore it's analogous to the temple, but which this actually brings us to a greater question. How do these two translations of the story come together? The, yes, there are two different translations of the, of the verse, Achashosh could either mean this foolish king, or it can mean God, but how can these two, these two translations possibly come together? What does that mean? There doesn't mention in this Ferengin, but in other 
occasions ever said that whenever you have two translations of the same verse, the two translations must be connected. Uh, like the Talmud says about the word shatnas, that in order to um, be liable of the prohibition of shatnas, of the mixture of wool and linen together, the Talmud says that there are various pr processes done to the wool, and only if all three processes are done, it is spun and it is woven, only then can it be considered shatnas. So the word shatnas has in it two, three translations, shua, combed, taviv and luz, and twined and spun. So, so only when it has all three together is it considered shatnas. So although there are three translations of that word, nevertheless, the Talmud combines all three of them. And similarly, there, although there's two seemingly different translations of the story about Ahasuerus in the simple sense and about God, yet these two translations are connected. So I think there's a dazzling explanation, unbelievable, uh, what, what, what we're going to learn today. Unbelievable explanation of how these two ideas are connected. Let's say L'chaim first. L'chaim, L'chaim, Okay, it says about um, the coming of Mashiach, it says that the knowledge of God will fill the world like water covers the ocean bed. So the idea of a covering is associated with the coming of Mashiach. Mashiach is about a time when the knowledge of God will cover the world. The emphasis of things being covered when Mashiach will come also means that there are some things, even after Mashiach comes, that our way of connecting to them is through concealment. Rebbe doesn't bring this analogy in this Fabrengen, but in other occasions, Rebbe spoke about how Mashiach was both called a teacher and he's also called a king. Which means that something Mashiach will teach us, and, we'll, we'll, and we will be able to learn from him, like a student from a teacher, understand them. And there are some things that Mashiach will give us that we will, won't be able to process in, in that kind of way. Instead, it will sort of be like a king who just rules over you without you understanding exactly what he is saying and why he is saying. You're just following him, Nasim and Ishma, we shall do before we understand, because the king said so. So there are some revelations that Mashiach will give the world, give each of us that we'll be able to internalize, like a teacher to a student. And there's some things that Mashiach will give us, which is more analogous to a king and a people where we are uh, following the king, we're receiving from the king, but it's still something which is transcendent. So when the Torah says, I will surely hide my face on that day, and the Torah is talking about the future, it's not only talking about, as it seems in the, in the simple sense, that Hashem will hide himself from us and we will not be, we'll be in a state of confusion and concealment. But this verse also indicates that Mashiach will come. The future, the real future there says refers to the coming of Mashiach. So even after Mashiach comes, there'll be some things that we'll only be able to connect to them in a way of a covering, in a way that, that they are, that they hover over us. That we, we will experience them, yes, but there are connection to these very lofty revelations will be in a way of a concealment. Uh, and the re reason we're going to be given though that revelation is because of our effort in a time of absolute concealment. 
In other words, there is the word, the translation of the verse in the simple sense. I hide, shall I hide my face in that day? On the simple sense, is talking about God hiding. Not only is he hiding, he says, hide, shall I hide? Which means not only is he hidden, but even the fact that he's hiding from us is also hidden. We don't even realize that God's hiding from us. We're in such a state of confusion that we don't even, don't even realize that God is hiding from us. We think that everything is normal. That's real confusion. If, as only yesterday, if you're, if, if you're a little mashuga, at least you know you're mashuga, then you're not so mashuga. But if you think you're normal, then boy, you mashuga. So that's what happened during the time of the Feast of Achashverosh. On the one hand, this was a time of concealment of godliness, and yet this was a kosher meal. So you could think like, oh, this is a great thing. This is nice. We were, all the Jews were invited. It was a concealment, but it felt like everything was normal. So when there is this confusing time of Hashem hiding himself from us, and despite the concealment, we still show up and do what we need to do, that is what elicits, that's what causes this, this revelation of Hashem of Yashas Cheshach Sisrei. It says in the Torah, God, in, in uh, Psalms, in chapter 104, it says, I will, darkness will be my cloak. So darkness being Hashem's cloak means that there are some things that we could experience as light because it's, it's, it's revelation. And there's some things which are so high that for us, seem like they're dark, but they're, they're, they're really a higher kind of revelation. So how can we experience these higher revelations of Mashiach will come? It's by showing up in a time of absolute confusion, a time when the concealment itself is, 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 is the concealment itself is concealed. We don't know we're in, we're in a state of concealment. Practically, what this means is that a person is in a state where he feels like there's no hope for him. And Ebbe gave a uh, little bit of a humorous description of someone who has no hope, or he thinks he does have hope. The guy is attending a Purim Fabrengen, the Rebbe's Fabrengen. And he thinks, because as in the code of Jewish law, you're supposed to be inebriated on Purim until you cannot tell the difference between blessed as Mordechai and cursed as Haman. So one of the ways that says in the code of Jewish law this could be achieved is by sleeping. So the guy falls asleep at the Rebbe's Fabrengen. And uh, he says, yeah, I'm fulfilling, and I don't want to fulfill this mitzvah in privately because it says and on Purim, you're supposed to do everything in a public way. So this thing is supposed to be in a public way, therefore he has to sleep in public. And further, he, he, when he hears something interesting that the Rebbe says, so then his sleep is even more ufkelek, he puts him in a good mood, and his sleep is even more pleasant. So although it seems that what he's saying has some source in the code of Jewish law. It's not absolutely ridiculous what he's saying, that there is such a concept of to fulfill this obligation to go to sleep. However, this kind of behavior will not add anything to his understanding of Judaism. It certainly won't bring him to this place of adaloyada, beyond understanding. He's in a, he's in a very, um, he's really holding back from where he needs to be. In the Megillah, there's an expression uh, that when the king makes a decree, uh, the decree must be kept and it cannot be retracted. So it's possible spiritually for a person to be in such a sorry state spiritually that they feel that they cannot, they have no hope, that they, that they, can't, switch, they can't switch around. They, they just feel hopeless. But what's the story of Purim? 
The story of Purim is in, that from the state of hopelessness, specifically from the state of hopelessness, and out of the state of hopelessness, there is this transformation. There is a difference between the celebration of Purim and the celebration of Hanukkah and the celebration of Pesach. Hanukkah, it says that the Jewish people uh, warred against their enemies on the 24th of Kislev, and they celebrated uh, peace from their enemies on the 25th of Kislev. That's what the word Hanukkah means. They rest on the 25th. On the holiday of Pesach, it says, in the very same day, there was a calamity, there was Naguf that happened to the Egyptians, and there was Rafui, and there was healing, and there was salvation to the Jewish people. But yet, even on Passover, even on Pesach, where we have simultaneously something great happening to us and something horrible happening to them, which, which indicates this kind of like uh, revelation, which isn't limited to one kind of expression, Purim is even greater. Because in Purim, it's not just that there's a, uh, a, a, a two opposite things that are happening, one to the Jews and one to the non-Jews, one to the anti-Semites, but on Purim, something even more amazing is happening. On Purim, the Jewish people were meant to be annihilated, or meant to, they were decreed that they should be annihilated. And the very Jews who were supposed to be chas Hashem, which were decreed upon, they should be annihilated, and this decree was in such a strong way that it was impossible to annul this decree, on that day, they themselves, the Jews, which, were, which they thought they were supposed to kill on that day, they allowed to kill, and they, decree, they should be decreed to kill, those Jews, they took the reins, and they actually destroyed their enemies. Things turned around, it was a complete turnaround. They, it went from the, the destruction of the Jewish people to the destruction of the anti-Semites. So this is uh, also highlighted in the lottery, which is the name of the of the Megillah, the Megillus Esther, and the name of the holiday of Purim. Megillus Esther means, Megillah means revelation, Esther means concealment. And the name Purim is associated with a lottery. Why is it called the name lottery? It's not called the name lottery on the surface because Haman made a lottery to find out when is the best day to destroy the Jewish people. So why is that the name of our holiday? That's, 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 that's like Chas It sounds like a naming a holiday gas chamber because that's the means to which Haman decided to annihilate us with, therefore making a holiday called lottery. What does that mean? So the answer is, is that unlike in the story, unlike in the, like Yom Kippur, or on Yom Kippur, there's also a lottery. But on Yom Kippur, the lottery works in a way like this. That one goat is sent by lottery to be destroyed, and one goat is sent to God. There's, there are two different uh, things happening as a result of this lottery. One, one dealing with positive, a sacrifice to God, and one dealing with a negative. But on Purim, what happened through this lottery? The lottery determined that this is a day the Jewish people shall be annihilated and out of this same day, which was the day that they were, they were decreed upon, they should be annihilated. On that very day, they actually annihilated all the anti-Semites who wanted to destroy them. So this, how is this achieved? This was achieved because the Jewish people themselves also experienced this transformation. The truth is that even while they did the sin of, according to the Talmud, there was Tom brings two different opinions about what exactly the issue was, whether it was their, their uh, consuming from the Feast of Achashverosh or it was because they, they bowed down to idolatry. But either way, it was only something external. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, that uh, as Ramam says, that even when a Jew does a sin, it's only the Yitzhahara forcing him. It's not what he really wants to do. So on 
although there was this this uh, temporary distance from Hashem, at least externally, they turned around. They turned around completely. And because they had turned around, they caused this similar kind of turnaround in Shemayim, in heaven. This is analogous, Rebbe says, to what the Ramam says about Shuva. It says, Shuva, let's say, Chas Hashem, a person succumbs to sin, and he sins with a certain woman, a certain place, with and a certain age. He is young, and, and he is uh, he, he is in a state where of confusion. So the Ramam says, Tshuva means that you're in the same kind of condition, in the same, meaning the same woman, and with having the same exact level of, of passion. And yet, in that same place, in that same scenario, you turn around and do what the right thing is. So, Sebe says like this, that the story of Purim means that the Jewish people turned around completely from being in a state of hopelessness to full return to Hashem. And therefore, the blessing every year in the, on, the, on the day of Purim, or the, the, the message of the day of Purim, is the, is the idea of transformation. That although a person seems it seems like that we may be in a state that we're it's hopeless, it's impossible to change. Yet the the, the power of the story of Purim is which teaches us that out of the state of hopelessness, in the contrary, we come to the greatest joy, the simcha of Adla Yoda, not just a joy like a regular holiday or a joy that's achieved through a regular mitzvah, but the joy that comes from a total transformation. And thus, this this brings down the the a kind of yantiv, a kind of holiday which is. Is infinite joy, and the Jewish people are blessed with Ura of Simcha of Sasimikar. Lachaim, Lachaim. Mr. Shakai, have a great day. You throw it.